Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. To find more of this and other great shows, head to cageclub.me. You can find the show on YouTube by searching Hard to Believe Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Or you can support the show on Patreon by heading to patreon.com slash hardtobelief. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at john at cageclub.me. Or you can find me on Twitter at ProbablyRealJB. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-J-B. The show is written and produced by me. A few weeks ago, we released an episode featuring American Hysteria's Chelsea Weber-Smith, in which we talked about the killer clown trope and its associated urban legends. Urban legends occupy an interesting space in our belief systems. They often function as the place where folklore, moral panics, and conspiracy theories meet, a kind of safe center point where the most toxic and dangerous elements of those things dissipate into entertainment. The belief in urban legends plays an enormous role in shaping our culture, even if we hate to admit it. But you'd have a hard time finding someone who doesn't believe in at least one part of a famous urban legend, whether they fear the slender man or just refuse to eat unwrapped Halloween candy. Video game culture of the 1980s and 1990s, given it was born in dark video arcades and suburban basements, presented a perfect breeding ground for interesting and new urban legends and straight-up hoaxes. And the greatest of them all is the legend of Polybius, the mysterious rare game that came and went in a month in 1981 in Portland, Oregon, and was never mentioned again until it was 20 years later. My guest today is my friend and giant video game nerd, Tyler Berth. I'm John Brooks, and this is Hard to Believe. Welcome to Hard to Believe. I am super excited today because today I have a very, very special guest who goes way back to my previous long forgotten podcast, which I did many years ago um, with Joey Lewandowski, Sports for Starters, on which we had on a number of episodes um, my guest today, uh, Tyler Berth. Welcome to Hard to Believe for the very first time. Thank you for having me, John. It's great to talk to you again. It's really fun to have you back. Um, it's it's I haven't I don't think t- like actually spoken to you since since the days of that podcast. We mostly communicate via social media. Um, I've liked a lot of your memes and a lot of your posts. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's kind of how everyone keeps in touch these days. I think that's as far as I'm emotionally willing to commit. It really is. Like people will ask me if I talk to so and so, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, I you know interact with them on social media. Is that what you're talking about? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I like their posts. I laugh, react to their posts all the time. It's it's weird. It feels like I should feel guilty for you know what I mean because I I especially like older people you know who are like, oh, do you still talk to so and so? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean. Do I call them on the phone? No. <laughs> Does <laughs> like, anybody? Do I panic when I get a phone call? Absolutely not. I'm totally normal. Do I know what they've been up to in their life? <laughs> yes. Do, do they <laughs> do. know what they I've been up to? The they do. About it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a new normal. But um, anyway, how have you been in the last, uh, I don't know, eight years? Is this the last time, I think? Oh, that... it's great. This is the show where we're going to debate Robinson Cano against Dustin Pedroia, right? That's the one. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think that was the last thing we discussed on our podcast. <laughs> it might well be. And I think we know where that, ultimately where that lands. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we, uh, you know, I think we, we know how some of those takes aged. Um, I'm good. You know, let me condense eight years for you. I, I'm, I'm happy and healthy and employed and uh, in the process of moving into a nice new uh, big apartment. So that is crazy stressful but like i can see the end and it's it's gonna be awesome so i'm really happy uh yeah i just moved into a house and this time uh i had you know three children to move with so yeah (laughs) it's amazing how much stuff i have (laughs) no one and i'm like where did all this stuff come from so i'm a little bit i'm not a hoarder but i have some hoarding tendencies that i'm I'm realizing which is a little concerning 
Because I just yeah. don't like to get rid of stuff. And I'm like, you never know when you're going to need that thing that you haven't used in 17 years and will never use. But right. just hold on to right. it. You can't get rid of it. I, I constantly get rid of things like purely with the thought of moving one day in mind, right? So like, I, like I organize my space like with the idea of moving and being like, when I move, when we move, I don't want to have to deal with this shit, right? So, um, but it doesn't work. It's still, you know, when moving happens, it's still just like, what the hell? Where do we put all this stuff? But I'm I'm just worried about when I die. I'm like, oh, they're going to sell these action figures, aren't they? They don't know the true value and you got to keep the box. that was a big so i i'm a big video game collector as well uh which i hear might come in handy today um and i have you know several generations of consoles i have every nintendo home console and and a couple xboxes a dreamcast a couple playstations so and yeah obviously the physical games to go along with it and i'm just like yeah i haven't played these games in a couple of decades but like what if i want to pick them up one day i'm going to need them and i'm going to need access to them so they got to right. stay upstairs they can't go in the storage <laughs> room you know so it's like oh and, and of course i have all the boxes i'm getting yelled at by my girlfriend like do we need all the boxes i'm like yeah we need all the boxes that's how we preserve the value she's like you're never going to sell them i'm going to have to deal <laughs> no, with them when you my- die <laughs> my descendants will. And, yeah. Uh, hey, my kids love a lot of money, you know, in, in these yeah. consoles. These are collector's items. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up video games because uh, I've actually invited you on today to talk about um, video games. So you've you've mentioned a little bit about um, some of the things that you collect and and how how back how far back your your console collection goes. Um, you were born in the late 1980s or early 1990s around then, is that right? 88. Okay, so how how much of like the old classic console stand-up coin-up game experience do you have? Um, so we actually, I grew up in Rutherford, New Jersey, and way, way, way back when we had an arcade. We had, uh, I think it was called Great Escape, and it was in Rutherford. Um, I'll double check that for you, but yeah, it was... I actually had one of my birthdays there. I think my eight-year-old birthday was there. And there is somewhere in my parents' house is uh, some some uh, camcorder footage of my my birthday, whatever age it was. I'm pretty sure it was eight. And, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't have consoles growing up. I think my first console was the Super uh, NES when the N64 came out. So, like, 96, N64 mm-hmm. comes out. Super Nintendo gets a big price drop and my parents are like, all right, you can get that. You can get that console. You're generation late. Well, what the hell do you know? You know, yeah. you're eight years old. Yeah. You don't know anything. Um, so yeah, I, I was exposed to it and uh, you know, it, it was something that I really enjoyed because it was such a rarity. It felt like a, such a special occasion to go and play the X-Men arcade game or the Simpsons arcade game. And so when good. my parents weren't looking to sneak over and play Mortal Kombat and get yelled yeah. at. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I also love you know the kind of classics, your Pac-Mans, your your Donkey Kongs. I was a huge Donkey Kong player, um, which came in handy for uh, for games in the future like Donkey Kong sixty four, where you had to <laughs> be really good at the retro games. And I was really happy that I I kind of had that exposure. So um, I, I consume it all. I've had a long history with uh, with games starting in the arcade. Do you remember ever playing a game in the arcade um, of that era called Polybius? Oh my God. I, so no, but I have looked heavily into this topic. Um, I follow a lot of game. I consume a lot of YouTube and I follow a lot of gaming channels. And one of my favorite content creators uh, is Scott Wozniak, uh, mm-hmm. Scott the Woz. He did a whole, I think it was like an hour long episode on like the mythos of uh polybius or polybus or whatever however you pronounce it um <laughs> well let me let me give you the backstory of of polybius uh and its and its origin um so the game was developed by uh a developer named uh Sinus lotion which is a um sort of a somewhat german word it's basically like a you know if someone took two german words in the dictionary and tried to make one um <laughs> So, so the, the the game developer's name uh, translates roughly to sensory deprivation um, mm-hmm. in in uh, in German. Um, Polybius uh, is believed to have debuted in 1981 um, in video arcades only around the city of Portland, Oregon. 
right? Um, and as legend goes, it was an immediate sensation. There were people uh, lining up around the block to play it, and they would they would um, play it for hours on end. And uh, the descriptions of the game essentially make it sound a lot like the game Tempest, um, which is a game you probably know. It's a it's a very 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 famous classic game. And so you get this description of Polybius as, you know, involving, involving a lot of vibrant colors and um, and polygon graphics, and, and maybe it's a shooting game. It's kind of hard to tell exactly. Um, Tempest came out basically exactly the same time as Polybius, uh, the, the, the fall of 1981. Um, so the thing that makes it sort of famous, though, is that not, it's not the game itself, but the... Um, the sort of mysterious, as you say, legend surrounding the game. Um, players allegedly were literally addicted to this game um, as though they were in like a trance-like state from playing it. They would play it for, again, hours at a time. Um, later, players would de declare that they had hallucinations and amnesia and like, you know, mind, it felt like mind control or something like that. Um, there's all kinds of different uh supposed side effects of playing polybius um and then there's the men in black factor right so um <laughs> one of the other <laughs> one of the other legends around polybius is that players swore that every time they were playing there were like mysterious men in like black uniforms and sunglasses like around the corner who were like observing them all the time um and that they had been you know placing patches and upgrades into the machines um and and there's even like a story of the two teenagers who went missing um, after playing the game, like they were never heard from again. It's very very strange. Um, and then the 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 weirdest thing is that after a month of being in these arcades in Portland, Oregon, um, all the Polybius consoles just disappeared and were never heard from again. Um, and as you indicate uh, before, I started. T telling you all this, none of this ever happened. Yes. <laughs> right? Like everything the, I just uh, said, the Mandela effect. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about the Mandela effect in a second because uh, if if you dig into why this story exists and um, the apparent origins of the Polybius legend, um, the Mandela effect does definitely play into it. There's a lot of really interesting sort of underlying psychological. Um, things going on here but this is a classic urban legend um there 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 was never a game called polybius there actually is a game called polybius now which we can talk about a little bit later like history uh you know sort of or, or self-fulfilling prophecy like right. some it was, it was retconned some, in it was retconned into existence <laughs> by some clever programmers who made like a ps4 version of polybius um but but when polybius first sort of appeared on anybody's radar as having existed was around the year 2000. And so um, none of the stuff that I just said has any bearing in any history whatsoever. Um, there were not two teenagers who disappeared. You know, there were no men in, <laughs> in Portland arcades. Um, what do you know about the, the origin of the, of the Philippia story? So, yeah, I, I mean, I, you, you kind of re recapped it uh, well. Um, I'd heard a lot of that. I've heard it was, you know, mind control or <laughs> this testing for uh, secret government positions based on your score. If you hit a certain threshold, you know, you would be uh, contacted by the government because you, you displayed a certain skill set that they would be interested in, stuff like that. Almost, I know there's another uh, 80s movie where, uh, what was it, the... Uh, Oh, I can't think of the name of it. The, la the last Starfighter. Yes, yeah, that yeah. it kind of had that vibes. <laughs> yep. um, so I I had heard some of that, but it reminds me of this the beauty of like the pre-internet era, where yeah. you know in the schoolyard you could hear kids talking about stuff that didn't happen just to sound cool. Like I remember <laughs> in uh, in the original Super Smash Brothers, you could unlock all these characters that no one's ever seen. You just had to do this. You had to beat it on ultra hard mode in under a minute and you get Sonic and he's totally there. And I did it and my cousin showed me and it's totally legit. And it's, mm -hmm. that's kind of how uh, it seems like it's spread, which is, is cool, but everyone adds a little something onto it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, I was being watched by a guy playing it. Oh, well, my cousin was actually one of the people who got <laughs> taken in and we haven't seen him. Yeah. And like, my parents are really concerned. Like 
you know, it just adds yeah. on. It's like a snowball rolling downhill, yeah. just gathering momentum and, and other garbage. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the fun thing about urban legends is unpacking where they come from. And, and, and I think what's so interesting about this one is that I think the origins of it are pretty clear. Um, it is a very highly manufactured urban legend um, where the years between 1981 and 2000, nobody is talking about Polybius because, you know, it was probably made up around the year 2000. Um, but part of the urban legend is that people were talking about it between 1981 and 2000, right? It's like, it's, it's, the urban legend part of it was factored into the urban legend creation. Of right. It. Um, right. It's, 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 it's really, really fascinating. Um, so there's a couple of things that we should, first of all, establish the reason I use the year 2000. Uh, there's a, a British video game journalist, a guy named Stuart Brown. Um, he pointed to two really important facts about sort of unpacking the Polybius story. Um, so he says that basically he's done the research and there's no, he can't find any mention of this game in any capacity prior to the year 2000. Um, and that the first time he can uh, identify a mention of Polybius um, is on a website, which you probably know, called coinop.org, um, which we'll talk more about in a second, uh, which was founded by a guy named Ken Kohler. Um, so Kohler is almost certainly the culprit here uh, because the, the, the name of this video game first just appeared as part of a database on coinup.org without really any information about what it was. But just like the the existence of this game was sort of willed <laughs> into existence on coinup.org um, by by Ken Kohler. Now, the, the thing that really points to Kohler as being the, um, uh, the protagonist of this story uh, the mastermind is that, and we're going to talk more about GamePro as well as, as <laughs> being one of the weird sort of um, uh, channels of, of of video game hoaxes. But um, in 2003, he was cited as the source in a GamePro piece about um, video game legends, and and GamePro looked into the Polybius legend and found uh, that the existence of the game was quote inconclusive which is a really really great way of keeping a conspiracy theory and an urban legend going right? is saying well we can't tell one way we can't say for sure even though we have no evidence to support it we can't say for sure are you are you familiar let's talk first of all about coinup.org are you familiar with that website um i am familiar with it i am not well versed in it uh kind of the same thing with with game pro they're they're on the fringe of my knowledge, um, just as a you know, a, someone who consumes a lot of video game related content. But I, my familiarity with them is not uh, super in depth. So CoinUp.org was a sort of um, a very you know early kind of social media. Um, it was a place that would database you know all of these sort of classic arcade games and even the ones that you know really did sort of appear in a few arcades and then vanish, um, which happened you know not uncommonly because some games were bad and uh didn't last very long um and just like you know a movie that would appear in a movie theater for a couple weeks and nobody saw it and it was gone um before you know in the early 1980s before we had home consoles and you had the um adaptations of coin-op machines into home consoles you know there were a lot of games that just sort of never registered with anybody and so coinup.org was a way for like collectors and enthusiasts and you know sort of nerds of this subgenre to um get together and talk about uh these games and to help catalog them and it was it had a huge um uh message board right so so people could talk about their memories of games and that sort of thing so it really was the perfect venue for a um a hoax like this to to catch fire um now, most people believe that uh, Kohler did this as a means of getting traffic to the site um, by by sort of being the the obvious place where Polybius was born. Uh, as people investigated it, they would always come back to his website, and of course, the GamePro piece um, helped with that. So it's it's pretty conclusive, right? That that he is the the, the mastermind behind this urban legend. Um, now again, you're right. Like this is, this is not 
uh, mass social media time. So it's much harder for these ideas to uh, become viral uh, and, and for these urban legends to, to catch fire the way they do today. Um, but, you know, as you, as you rightly point out, um, video games, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, um, and, and, you know, even your own memories of as of being a kid in the early 90s or whatever, there were all of these rumors because everybody was playing the same games, um, right? Everybody was playing Super Mario and Sonic the Hedgehog and Legend of the Zelda and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, sure, people played other games, but there were all of these games that were incredibly ubiquitous. And... What would end up happening is that is that um, someone you know would would just make up something that happened in a game, or even like a glitch that they misread, right, as being part of the game itself. That was pretty common, and then it would catch fire and turn into this whole weird thing, including like the the negative world in Super Mario, or right. you know what I mean. Like there's like all these weird things that and your friend's cousin like absolutely got to the negative <laughs> world and like you know exactly how to do it and you have to jump on the warp pipe at exactly the right way at the right time you know it's with this many frame coins perfect. it's always you could <laughs> yeah. literally never recreate this because you know only my cousin eric could do it i saw him do <laughs> right. it but like i couldn't do it but like my cousin <laughs> eric totally this totally happened to my friend eric <laughs> now game pro was the most sort of fun um and and at least kind of um corporate top down of the video game magazines which included like nintendo power at the time i was a nintendo power kid that's where absolutely i read yeah. i read both but nintendo power was very um curated right, right. like beginning to end was was um heavily overseen by like corporate overlords um <laughs> game game pro always felt more sort of rebellious and and much more sort of user generated right so they had a lot of input from readers and and sections that were really like very reader centric and they had like a whole place where you could submit you know cheat codes and that sort of thing and like several pages that would just tell you how to cheat through you know games and and it was very sort of i don't know it was very edgy 90s right sort of yeah. uh video game magazine which also made it a great place for um these hoaxes to 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 catch fire now the most famous that game pro above all else is probably responsible for or at least responsible for keeping alive is the the legend of shang long um in another video game of the time that everybody was playing street fighter 2 mm. um do you know about this one i don't know if you if, have you played much street fighter in general a ton that was one of the uh one of the games we had on my lovely super nintendo and we played the crap out of it we played a ton so one of the things that like when you see those victory screens, right, and there's the dialogue where it's like, "You must defeat my so and so," right, yes. um, or you should, you, sh you shouldn't have come, <laughs> whatever. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that in the original Street Fighter II translation um, into English, uh, Rue says, "You must defeat Sheng Long before you can defeat me." Oh yeah, okay, yes, I do recall this. Okay, do you know what Sheng Long actually is? Wasn't it? Uh, I, I thought it was a mistranslation of Shoryuken or Hadouken or one of them. I thought it was the a mistranslation of one of the moves. Right. It's the it's the sort of anglicized version of the um the uppercut super punch thing that both uh uh Rue and, and Ken do, right? Yes. Um it's called it's called the Sheng Long. And 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 people were like, wait, who's the Sheng Long character? Right. <laughs> His final boss, who is he? And so some punk was like, "Oh no, that's actually uh, Rue's master, and you can you can play as him if you if you do the following things, right?" And nobody could ever figure out how to make how to unlock the character of Shang Long. Um, and again, this is before Facebook and Twitter and everything else, right? That that everybody had a position on whether or not Shang Long, the legend of Shang Long, was true, and whether or not it really wasn't a playable character in Street Fighter Two. Game Pro kept this thing alive forever um <laughs> including what like when they debunked it they still kept making jokes about it and and they even like 
they 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 someone like Photoshop, like early Photoshop version, like hacked a Street Fighter Two machine to create a Shenlong character and like showed a screenshot of it. Like it was crazy. In in the uh, in the movie Wreck It Ralph, there's a great joke about this. Um, that in one of the scenes, or like in the in the subway that connects all the different games, you know, and and um, graffitied onto one of the walls is Shenlong was here. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> It's one of those jokes that like no one's going to get. Um, yeah, but the they... people who do really love it. Right, the people who read GamePro in the 1990s. Exactly, uh... <laughs> that is very niche, but those people are having a ball with it. So GamePro, we can say, um, is is one of the reasons why the Polybius legend um, caught on. Um, okay, so it gets worse. In 2006, um, a guy named, uh, calling himself Stephen Roach, uh, came forward claiming to be the founder of Sinus Lotion. Um, again, who's the, the supposed creator of Polybius. Uh, so he, he talks about how he was like contacted by some shady group of people, <laughs> some of Americans, to create a game that would like hypnotize children or whatever. Um, and, th- and he wrote a post about this on, guess where, coinop.org. So, oh, you don't say. You don't say. <laughs> so, again, a few years after this, the thing had sort of been publicized and people were, were like doubting it, like just in time for it to fall off the radar entirely. Um, a, a mysterious figure says, no, it was real. I made that game. Um, all of this, all of this is true. So you, you, you correctly bring up the, um, the Mandela effect of which there's a lot of stuff going on, right. Um, with, with Polybius, uh, in terms of the way that people insist they remember playing it to this day, there are still people who say like, no, 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 it was real. I remember playing it. Um, what color seems to have done is engineer um, a Mandela effect, right? Um, but by doing so, a couple of really, really clever things uh, in, in the creation of, of this fake game. Um, we should talk about what the Mandela effect is uh, before we, before we talk about how it works with the, with the Polybius phenomenon, but What's your understanding of the the Mandela effect? So it's it's named after Nelson Mandela, who I believe the initial cause for the Mandela effect was a lot of people mistakenly believed that he was killed in like the 80s or 90s or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, found out later that no, that's not the case. So it's, to my knowledge, the way I would explain it is, is almost like a false memory uh, mm-hmm. of something. You misremember something as a, as a famous, famous, uh, uh, word that Roger Clemens used, uh, misremembered, a mis <laughs> a mis memory. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a kind of a mass um, a mass false memory, right? Um, and the thing that that sort of always surrounds the Mandela effect are disparate pieces of factual information um, that then just sort of get so jumbled up into like creating a false memory um and sometimes the false memory can be sort of um can be sort of coaxed right which is what color seems to have done here um but with nelson mandela the the likely like reason why people thought that or first of all because you know mandela was in the news for being released from prison um in the in the 1990s uh, when he became the president of of South Africa, um, and then there was like a couple of movies about Mandela before he died, including Invictus. And and often when you think of like an old famous person getting a movie, it, it's because they died, right? Yeah, it's, it's usually um, posthumously. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, they're usually not in the audience watching themselves be you know reflected on the screen. So it was, it did kind of defy some of those. Uh, some of those standards, but, but yeah, I, I think that's exactly what it was. I think they, they heard about him, knew he was in jail from the apartheid and just kind of mm-hmm. assumed they didn't do the research to say, Oh, why are we, why is he in the news? Right. Uh, right. Oh, he must've died. I, I guess that's what I'll remember from now on. <laughs> well, and then the other thing that plays into it is probably that there is a, um, that Mandela often gets, um, sort of put into the same into the same breath as Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. and and the the knowledge that those two people were assassinated um you know before their 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 natural life uh concluded um 
again, just sort of like Mandela then gets lumped into that category and then your brain tells you that he was also assassinated. And so, you know, you, you put that all together and you can see why people would just sort of create this this false memory. Um, there's a really great episode of the revival of the X-Files um, from, from a couple of years ago um, about the Mandela effect that I, I highly, even if you're not like a huge X-Files fan, um, highly recommend watching. It is one of the two best episodes of the of the revival series and honestly one of the best episodes of that show period it's hysterically funny um but it but it 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 delves into this um mandela effect uh phenomenon um the mandela effect reemerged i think in popular culture a couple of years ago um because of this uh, kerfuffle over the movie Shazam yes. uh, starring sim now <laughs> uh, tyler do you remember the movie Shazam starring sinbad did you watch that when you were a kid um, you know, I, I'm usually not too susceptible to these kind of Mandela effects and, and a lot of them, you know, in this day and age with social media and, and, uh, you know, the, the availability of people just to, to lump in like, Oh yeah, I definitely remember that. I was like, no, it, I, I remember Shaq in a movie called Kazam, but right. I don't. So I, I had knowledge of that. So I was like, I don't think that's true. I think people are just kind of, you know, misremembering Kazam. And putting Sinbad in there instead of Shaq with a different title. Right. So I, having known and, and I think having seen Kazam more than once, which is shameful <laughs> to admit, um, having those memories, I was I kind of didn't remember a Sinbad genie movie. Um, but I was apparently in the minority with all the people who, who did. So then why, why explain to me how the, this fake movie came into existence? Um... I, I I don't know the the precise origins, but I, I I do think it's it's probably you know someone posted on a forum or on social media. <laughs> didn't didn't you know didn't Sinbad do a genie movie too? And other people <laughs> like yeah, that, I think so. I remember seeing something like that. And instead of doing a simple Google search, you know that would turn up nothing, <laughs> or going into right. his filmography, or you know even searching Shazam and and Google saying, did you mean Kazam? Yeah. Uh, they didn't do that. They just said, yeah, I think I remember that. So it exists and it's real and it, and it must be. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing about Polybius is that if you did a Google search of, of Polybius, you would find a real game, right? Or but like That's what they want you to find. They don't want you to find <laughs> right? anything. They're hiding it. So it was cleverly because, because Polybius came into life on the internet it was it was sort of you couldn't debunk it just by doing an internet search because the internet says it existed right so it's a little different from from shazam but you know shazam's another really great example of like how the mandela effect works you have a couple of i think very basic um elements that go into it right uh shaquille o'neal and sinbad were both in pretty bad movies around the same time right so shaquille o'neal <laughs> You know, right? He, like he did. He did Steel and Kazam, um, and and whatever else, um, and then Sinbad the comic. You know, yeah, he made a bunch of like pretty terrible movies in the '90s, and um, so so there, there's a kind of a genre link between the two. Or they're both Alex, like, or if you're the late Alex Trebek, a genre, genre, yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, you know, they're both they're they're both black. They're both you know big dudes right like like so there's like there's a physical resemblance between the two of them um you know i i don't think sinbad's anywhere near as big as shaquille o'neal but like no. and he's also know, a light-skinned brother right that's true there is that as well <laughs> but but you know you can see especially like suburban white people confusing the two of them pretty easily oh, 100%. Right? <laughs> it's like especially oh, moms. Like, can we, can we, mom can we go see shazam <laughs> we got shazam at home and it's kazam and we don't know yeah, the yeah, difference yeah and also that movie you want to see doesn't exist um, exactly. it's and the other thing is that sinbad himself like his name is 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 he's named after sinbad from the arabian nights mm -hmm. right uh the arabian nights stories involve genies and aladdin is one of the arabian night stories and so like there's there's the the name sinbad the association with um the the arabian night stories uh genies you know you, you kind of put it all together and you're like you can see how the brain accidentally connects things that aren't there right um and anyway so that seems to be like what kohler has done um with with uh with polybius and and so so there's a guy named um, 
you might know him, Brian Dunning, who who hosts the uh, the Skeptoid podcast, which is uh, really really great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, um, I'm not familiar, but I will check him out. It's good stuff. He he has a has a really good theory as to how um, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the specifics of the Polybius story came about. Uh, first thing he points to is that uh, in 1981 in Portland, Oregon, on the same day, um, in two unrelated instances. Um, two different players like either collapsed or or like you know felt like had a one of them like had a migraine i think i'm not sure if he totally collapsed um one of them was trying to beat the world record for playing asteroids um and so i think he'd been playing for 26 hours straight or something like that that'll do it and and was only drinking coca-cola uh during the entire time (laughs) And so he collapsed and was taken to the hospital and like it was a local news story or whatever and probably like, you know, was was made its way around the early message boards later on in the Internet. Right. Um, as a as sort of a, a legend of the asteroids player. Um, another one did collapse, I think, from a migraine while playing Tempest. Right. And that's this is like that's I think the, the data yeah. that's really important there. Um, Polybius is obviously in the way it's vaguely described. Right. Inspired by Tempest. That's what you're supposed to supposed to think about. Um, so th- there is this like really true story of these two players um, in Portland, Oregon having something weird happen to them seemingly because of playing video games um tempest was a very kind of psychedelic game i can see anybody sort of playing it too long especially in a dark arcade and collapsing from a migraine sure um playing asteroids for 26 hours straight you're bringing about that about on yourself right but arcade machines were new People were um, not familiar with like what they did to you. There was obviously a lot of skepticism around like, are, are they bad for the brain, et cetera, et cetera. So you can see how these two stories would stick um, in the in the public awareness. Absolutely. The other thing that's really important is that around this time there were FBI raids of arcades, uh, and the reason for that is because the FBI was really concerned again because no one really, really understands how these machines work that they were being used for gambling. And they probably were. Who knows? But like, They probably were. Right. But but they were like, I think the FBI was concerned over the high score listing, um, at, which, you know, is a classic sort of staple of, of those arcade machines. And they were like, oh, that's just, you know, fertile ground for a gambling ring because mm. you're preserving um, score data. And, and so, so I guess the FBI, and I think in some cases there were illegal gambling rings going on. And so it seems like the, the men in black part of this um, also comes from that sort of residual memory, that sort of cultural memory of, um, of the FBI raiding uh, early, early video arcades, which hopefully um, never happened to you while you were playing. No, no. The only yeah, trouble I got in was, you know, once again, when I snuck away to play Mortal Kombat without. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> about as it's uh, uh, about as bad as it got for me. <laughs> now, the other um, possible contributor to this uh, is, is, is a game called Cube Quest, um, which I think is probably right, because the the, the poly in Polybius um, and the cube in Cube Quest sort of sound like they are uh a deliberate nod right to to this other thing so cube quest was um a contemporary of these games but it used um laser disc technology uh if you ever played like um uh what is uh dragon's lair um mm-hmm. right which is a laser disc game like it's really boring but it was also really ahead of its time because you control the cartoon or at least Every once in a while, pressed a button yeah. <laughs> during it's a, a cartoon time event in, in yeah. <laughs> a, a semi-interactive movie. If we're being right. generous, but yeah, I mean it. It looked incredible for the time. It still looks good. I think there's a remaster that's yeah. out in like full yeah. HD, and it lo- it still looks. The animation is so fluid and smooth. It still looks great. But yeah, at the time, there was nothing that looked like it. No, right. And and Cube Quest was not. Um, in the same vein, but it used the same basic technology. So it used laser discs uh, to produce the graphics. So, so it looked way cooler than pretty much anything else in the arcade. This also meant that it broke down all the time and yeah. that right, and that nobody who was renting the machine could possibly fix it. And so with CubeQuest, what you had was, you know, a machine that was constantly breaking down and that you constantly saw repairmen coming in and putting patches on and, um, and, and fixing. And like the suspicion around that um, probably also factors into 
uh, the 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 Polybius legend. Um, so, sort of apropos nothing, Dunning also says, and you brought this up before, <laughs> that this these these events in the early 1980s and these arcades probably influenced the last starfighter um which which you know again is a sci-fi movie where a kid is very good at a video game and in fact the video game is training for an intergalactic war uh and so once he breaks a certain score the aliens come and say you're coming with us. You're our last hope for survival, et cetera, et cetera. Peak um, 80s or <laughs> yeah, probably 80s, right? I would assume. Yeah, it was 84. 80 peak. Um, peak 80s. Uh, right after Return of the Jedi. Uh, obvious Star Wars cash in, but actually a very good movie. Um, if you've never actually seen it in, in its own right. I, I loved that movie as a kid. I watched it all the time. Um, but yeah, you can you can pretty clearly see that. The Last Starfighter is at least a um, uh, a relic of of the fact that these urban legends were already in existence in the early '80s, right? So, so when it came time to put um, Polybius into existence, you're already working with um, sort of certain ingredients, right, in, in creating this urban legend that that very clearly already existed. Um, the last obvious piece of inspiration here is MK Ultra. Um, mm. Not to be confused with the like fifth install or fifth version of the Mortal Kombat uh, <laughs> remaster. Mortal Kombat, very very topical. I, I didn't realize it, how uh, how topical. Uh, MK Ultra has nothing to do with Mortal Kombat. Do you know what MK Ultra is? Yes, the uh, wasn't in the fifties kind of mind control mm -hmm. government, right? You know, top secret, yada yada yada. <laughs> yeah, so MK Ultra was um, a, a series of top secret government uh, experiments on civilians and others uh, in mind control and the link between LSD and mind control. Um, so, you know, they the government was basically trying to figure out if they could, you know, sort of um, hack the idea of mind control and use it for military operations and counterintelligence and yada 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 um it was a conspiracy theory until it was declassified um so it first sort of came to the public's attention in the 1970s so by the time of the early 80s um mk ultra is already very much in the public awareness um that squares that squares the 1981 element of polybius uh pretty nicely because it seems that the selection of that particular year also feeds into uh mk ultra hysteria and, there, and there's an element of polybius that is like it's a continuation of mk ultra instead of lsd it's like crazy tempest graphics right which are kind of <laughs> like lsd uh but for kids um and, you know and it's pretty clear that's part of what's going on um the other reason is that Again, we think that Polybius, the idea of it came into existence in 2000. Um, the U.S. Government Accounting Office released a report on MKUltra that was pretty well known in 1994. Um, and, and that's right at the sort of peak X-Files time. Um, I've talked about on this show that the middle of the 1990s was really the golden age of conspiracy theories um, until... 9-11 happened and then conspiracy theories really headed off into the far-right fascist uh, quadrant of our culture. Um, in the 90s, when everything was relatively honky-dory, um, you know, we were worried about aliens because we had nothing else to be worried about if you lived in suburban <laughs> America in the 90s. Um, and so, you know, we had the X-Files, you had MK Ultra, and it just, it, you know, it was pre 9-11. And so it just seemed like a really, it, 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 it seems pretty obvious that um, this is very clever. It's a very clever sort of taking a bunch of existing ingredients and weaving them together into a urban legend um that that would drive traffic to coinup.org and um did exactly that <laughs> um so so today to this very day uh, i found this interesting i found in um in portland monthly uh the the magazine a 2017 article about the polybius legacy uh by eleanor van buren and she says the following uh so she's talking about people who are still sort of insistent on 
this being a real thing and carrying it on into into future generations. She says, quote, take, for instance, Bobby Feldstein, who claims he was abducted one afternoon when he was 14 after playing the game in Coin Kingdom and experiencing mind-altering side effects. Feldstein tells producers he was led through a series of underground tunnels akin to the tunnels of Portland's Shanghai lore and was found the next day more than 60 miles from his house in the middle of the Tillamook State Forest. Feldstein claims there was another boy with him, one who rescued him. Feldstein gives for-profit Polybius walking tours around Portland that attempt to authenticate his experience by returning to the former basement of Coin Kingdom. He claims the ordeal of the abduction ruined his life, telling the podcast audience, doing the tour is a way to exercise my demons on a daily basis. And you get paid for it? Wow. (laughs) That's kind of racket. I, I don't know what to make of this. Um, have you been to Portland, Oregon? I have not. Uh, I was lucky enough after high school to uh, drive out to California, but we kind of went uh, down through um, <laughs> Arizona and Vegas yeah. and that way. So I, I miss the uh, Pacific Northwest, but I do want to get out there. Portland is 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 notably a you know sort of proudly weird place keep, with a yeah, lot of keep books. Portland weird, man. Um, I don't know what to make of this Bobby Feldstein. I don't know if he is just a you know a kind of fraudster having a good time, which I think is the best case scenario here. Um, or you know someone who is genuinely disturbed. Can it be both? Um, it could be both. Who knows? Um. You know, I, I find what's interesting, though, is that detail that he adds about there being another boy with him, right, when 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 he found himself in Tillamook State Forest, which coincidentally happens to tie into the urban legend of the two boys who disappeared from an arcade in Portland while playing Polybius in 1981. So, you know, it's like, did he just add that detail to sort of tie himself to the lore or, you know, I, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, but I, who's the I, other kid? We don't, we don't know him. He goes to another school. So he goes to a different school. Uh, he met him, he met him at camp uh, yeah. and uh, you wouldn't know him. He's from a different town. Um, to me, the cleverest thing though about Polybius and about um this this fraud this con is the name itself now i don't know if you've ever encountered this part of the of the lore but do you know where that name comes from that i don't recall so this is actually like a deep cut right um this is the most i think telling and the 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 biggest wink to this whole thing being a giant fraud um in that polybius is the name of a second century bc roman historian um who is famous for one really important reason now so the the uh the discipline of history was effectively invented in the 5th century BC by a guy named Herodotus and um who's considered to be the father of history and so the way that western history is done right the idea of writing down things that happened in some sort of contextualized way, right? In order to preserve them for future generations. Um, Yeah, that wasn't really a thing until Herodotus basically invented it. But the problem with Herodotus is that he was also a a complete fabulist, to to, to put it nicely, right? He's a giant liar. Um, He made up shit all the time, but that was also just part of history to him right history telling you, you you can make stuff up you can embellish you can um make things look bad for a certain group and good for another group that's fine polybius was one of the first people uh first historians who was like you know what we should do fact check <laughs> like <laughs> so polybius was a um an early adopter of the idea or an early advocate for the idea of history being based on primary sources and of cross-referencing of sources. Um, so that you should only really write down the things that you've done due, due diligence on um, to make sure that they're actually true and comport with verifiable historical facts. Wow. That's the what makes the... Is exactly. This, <laughs> this is such a... Wow. I, I had not heard that. And that is so... This is like that confirms that this is just a big <laughs> troll. This is a twenty-plus year troll, right? And he's just winking right at us, and people are still like, "No, nah, but I played it though, so you know, whatever." Um, yeah, I it's it, it it certainly is. I mean, I mean, the the lack of evidence. I I think one of the biggest 
um, tells is that a few years ago, someone um, submitted a FOIA request for anything the government has on Polybius and got a note back saying like, ah, uh, nothing. <laughs> like we we have no record of this thing existing and we have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Oh, you Thank believe you for the your government, time. John? Yeah. <laughs> you, you still believe birds are real? Wake up. But, <laughs> but even, even in the cases where um the government tries to cover something up they they will acknowledge right. some existence to the it's thing and redact the hell out of it it's, right you know uh top it, secret or whatever but we, we got nothing FOIA, for you. you you can't really do that before you have to give them something if there's anything and when you get a note back being like sorry pal like we looked <laughs> and there is no polybius game from 1981 that ever existed um we have no records of child abductions or or anything else um yeah it's really genius because it also sounds like the name of a video game right it's 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 it, it, it sounds like right like galica and and you know galactus and and whatever else right polybius just sounds yeah and and again like the the the, the poly as in polygon uh, it just it works so beautifully as as a name but it's very clear right that this is a incredibly well-designed hoax and a way of creating a uh, artificial mandela effect that i guess to this day um some people are still still in on now there's a final wrinkle in the story i'm i'm in let's hear it i'm like I'm on pins and needles here. I, Cause I knew, again, I knew kind of generally, <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, there's a new wrinkle. Tell me. There is a wrinkle. Um, it, it, it appears there is an, a, a very small chance that Polybius did in fact exist, but in an unauthorized timeline um, that wasn't supposed to be, because if you pay close attention in the most recent episode of the television series, Loki, I did um, pay close attention. <laughs> I did see it. <laughs> What did you see? I saw the, you know, without spoilers, they're in a location and it's got some fun. It's almost like a weird uh, dystopian Applebee's, just weird <laughs> stuff on the walls and like little pop culture references and stuff. And they yeah. have um, a, an arcade cabinet of Polybius. Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, in an episode of this filled with like absurdly minutiae uh, Easter eggs, um, this is probably the best one. So the implication is that, um, no, 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 it's not a false memory. It's a, um, it's a variant. Yeah, it got, uh, it got pruned. That's why you've never <laughs> it seen got, it or heard of it. It got pruned in 1981 and it was never supposed to exist. And now it exists somewhere at the end of time, um, hanging out with a bunch of Lokis. Yeah, it's a great Easter egg. So I, I I saw that in the background and I was like, oh, that story. And I, I yeah, and that made me, um, you know, want to do an episode about it. So, um, yeah, sorry to say uh, it never really did exist. And it does now. Um, you can now buy Polybius for PlayStation 4. Have you played it? The, the, the new the new version? You know, I do recall when it came out, I saw articles. Are you, know, you sure? I'm just kidding. I, okay. I don't know anything anymore, John. <laughs> I, my whole life is a lie. Where's Sinbad? <laughs> um, no, I, I did see the announcement um, when it came out, and I was kind of like, ah, yeah, I remember hearing about that. And then yep. and I was like, I, I don't actually have any interest in playing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting because it, um, it actually kind of is modeled after Tempest 2000, which was the... Um, updated version of Tempest that came out for a, a console. I'm sure you spent a lot of time playing, like rest the rest of us, the Atari the Jaguar. Jaguar. Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only good game for that console, but it was awesome. Uh, it was it was a hell of a game. Um, the Polybius update, the PlayStation 4 version of it, is basically the Tempest 2000 of Polybius, right? So it's it sort of imagines what the game would have been as kind of a Tempest ripoff with like some other weird shit going on. And then gives it sort of a um, a, a third generation console gloss over, um, and then puts it with it. It's it's a very clever like in the way that Kohler sort of again retconned <laughs> Mandela <laughs> effect as a retconned game coming into existence. It's a uh, it, it's a very clever thing. But I'm kind of um, impressed with the the amount of research he had to do because you know like yeah. I wonder if he had heard of these stories of you know the the uh, the kids fainting or whatever right, and right. said, you know, let me, let me kind of inject some stuff in there. Or like yeah. I, the thought process is mind boggling because he, he's clearly done his research, you know, the yeah. fact that yeah. they, there are these indicators in history of some kind of weird, suspicious stuff that makes you say, 
you know, maybe this thing, it makes you doubt yourself. There's that element of, of doubt that creeps in the more and more you hear because you're like, man, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on to just be a coincidence that we all made up a game in our memories, right? It seems too convenient. Yeah. It's got to be real. But he's he's also the perfect guy to do it because he is literally hosting a site that is a database for all these stories. Yeah. And right. And 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 he has all of that research um available to him. It's almost uh, like insider trading, you know, he's got he's printed totally all is. this stuff. So he's he's pulling the strings behind the scenes and you know, in the infancy of the internet, there was no fact checking. There was like, oh yeah, we, we can't disprove it, so it's probably real. And if if indeed he did um you know, sort of rope GamePro into this intentionally. Um, you know, knowing the Sheng Long story as everybody did, right? Like from from his generation. Um, of course they'd go for it. <laughs> of course, right. like they, they would do something where they're not gonna say, and obviously it's bullshit, they'd say, like, well, maybe, you know, inconclusive. We haven't been able to find evidence one way or always, right? <laughs> if you want to keep a, a, a an urban legend alive, you always go with inconclusive. You never say yes, it was real, or no, it wasn't. Because if either one of those things, right, is going to basically, like, kill it one way or yeah, the other. Yeah, the allure, the mystique is like, I don't know, it still could be debated to this day. It's, it's gotta be but maybe. Um, yeah. But as it turns out, it's at the end of time with Loki. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I love that, like, yeah. As, like, a gaming kind of, I don't want to call myself a gaming historian, but I do, you know, consume a lot of that yeah. that content. And, uh, <laughs> you know, because it is something that I got to you know, when I, when I got into it, I, I knew there was a long history of games that I hadn't played and I wanted to, to kind of familiarize. I almost equated to when you when you find a new band or musician or a new song that you really like and you say, oh, they've got a couple albums out already. Let me go back and listen to it. It was kind of like that. It was like, right. I love playing my Super Nintendo. I want to see how we got here. I want to see, <laughs> you know, what yeah. what Mario looked like, yeah. you know, in his, in his debut, in his first game and all that stuff. So I kind of equated to that. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, the other sort of really clever part of that nod in Loki is that it is the sort of thing that the god of mischief would love, right? Oh, like this... 100%. <laughs> it's right up his alley. <laughs> this just, like, deliberate hoax to, to confuse people and, like, make it so that some guy in Portland, Oregon is, like, exercising his demons of a trauma that clearly <laughs> never happened. It's just, it's great. Uh, you gotta love it. Especially with so many... Um, you know, hoaxes and conspiracy theories that are so damaging and, and horrific these days. Right. Um, it's fun to have like fun ones again, you know, yeah, that aren't just stupid. like, you know, I won't go into them, but I miss the fun ones. Like right. who killed JFK? <laughs> <laughs> and if it if it if it if it gets kids to find out what Tempest is and um, yeah, like go play you know, those games, man. There's, they to, still hold to learn up. about MK Ultra. Then I guess yeah. you know maybe yeah. not that one so much, but you know, go play some old <laughs> go play some old cabinets. They're all available on uh, your new platforms and collections. They're great. And download Polybius, uh, <laughs> the, the adaptation of a fake game that. Um, fooled a bunch of people for a long time so Incredible. um anyway that's that story uh before we go uh and it's your chance to just promote whatever the hell you want to um tell us so, to watch stuff or play stuff or whatever. i mean yeah play video games learn about the history of video games um Done. you know i i'm a huge retro gamer so i love going back and playing the games that are are from my, not only my childhood but before my childhood and just kind of learning the history of all of it it really makes you appreciate how far we've come and how gaming has evolved and changed uh, to such a, a, an art form. You know, it really is. Games these days are works of art for the most part. Uh, these large, you know, single player narrative stories that really rope you in like your God of War, Last of Us, you know, those kind of games are just, they're, they're pieces of art. And it's really, it's really cool to see that come from, you know, Tempest or, or uh, Pac-Man or these, mm -hmm. you know, quarter mining machines to these uh, these expressions and these games are dealing with depression and anxiety and mental illness. And just, it's so cool where we've come. Uh, mm -hmm. But in terms of me, I'm boring. I'm on uh, social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at oh, that Tyler. But I will, uh, let me plug my girlfriend. She makes comics. Uh, my girlfriend is Heather Antos. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Heather Antos. Uh, give her a follow. She's really great and uh, interactive on social media and she's infinitely cooler than me. 
And uh, I, love I don't know about that. There you go. I don't know. I don't know. That's sweet. <laughs> she is very cool. She makes great comics, and you should definitely follow her. But um, Tyler is also very cool. And uh, yeah, you should write a book about the history of video games or something. I think that would be. You know, I've debated it. Kind of a coffee table book, but I, yeah. I you know, life's hard enough without writing a book. Everyone's writing a I book know. or a screenplay. So yeah, yeah not me. <laughs> Let someone else do it who's more talented and has more time for this shit. The cool thing about me is I'm not writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> wow, way to stand out in, in today. I know, I know. It's like not having a tattoo. I just like, it's that's my that's I don't my have new one not... either. And I'm oh, see, we're so, we're so cool. We should do a podcast together. We should. We don't, we don't have tattoos and art writing books with Tyler and Jeff. How interesting. Um, coming soon. <laughs> nah, it's not. Uh, all right. I will, I will have you back um, at some point soon. It's great to talk to you again and great to have you on after all these long years. Um, Tyler, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you so much for having me.